Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today we close out season one of Shakespeare with our final thoughts on the specific elements of Macbeth. We're going to talk about it more in the show itself, but we're not going anywhere either. Uh, We're going to be taking one month off to kind of recharge our batteries, and we'll be back the first week of December with the same energy, if with a slightly wider range of topics. If you want to support the show, please check out our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia, or leave us a rating and review over on your favorite podcatcher app of choice. You can also find our website with a link to our merch store at shakespearepod.com. I do also would like to say, as your mostly quiet producer, thank you for joining us. And now, on with the show. So my brother moved to town. I, Beth, I actually went down to your homeland of Dayton, Ohio, to, oh, to sorry help about him. That. Do you have dysentery? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Uh, no, we he he was living in Kettering before. He that moved is literally up here. best stopping ground. Yeah, yeah. So I went to elementary school. I lived. I was born in Troy. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to Kettering, and then we moved to Bellbrook. So we just went down seventy slightly further. Yeah, and then when I turned, and then when I turned eighteen, I drove straight up seventy five. <laughs> Three hours and just went to Bowling Green. So I have lived my entire life on the 75 corridor. On the 75 corridor. Yep. The whole thing. Um, that's you done. You got to move to Lima yeah. and, and uh, Cincinnati. No, no, nope. I spent a week in Lima when I was young and I was I a remember, manager at I Lowe's. You had to do that. I yeah, I spent, a, and that was, that week I spent in Lima uh, is the only time a hooker has knocked on my hotel door. So, huh. yeah, that I was staying at, huh. yeah, I was staying at the Knights Lime, in Lima. Lima is uh, mm. not what you would call a classy town. It's not, it's not. And there was a gentleman, his name was Tommy. He was amazing. Uh, he was a Romanian Canadian, which I think was funny because it rhymed. Mm-hmm. And he was in the like room next door, and they had gone to his room first. And when they came to my room, he also followed behind to make sure that he would leave me alone. I'm like, what are they going to do? Like, I'm not a prime target for hustle. Like, <laughs> right? No, I'm good. Thanks, thanks though. Thanks though. <laughs> really I appreciate to, it. I used to be a I used to be a solid effort. A fair solid amount effort. for work. I don't, I don't miss it. I, I used to, yeah. Even AT&T, I had to go down and work at the AT&T store in Lima every once in a while when they would uh, inevitably lose all of their staff at once. Um, and I don't feel bad saying that there was more, there was more phones in that store than teeth most of the time when customers would come in. There was an outlet mall in Lima. And my mom and I would go to that when we needed to go, like, in-depth clothes shopping. When it was, like, regular clothes shopping, it was like, we're going to go to the Richland Mall in Mansfield. Sure. While that existed. So I, just I was going to say, also, yeah, Mansfield? Um, Look, I... Yeah. Well, listen, I lived okay. in, in Hayesville. 
Uh, so Mansfield was literally the closest place that had stores yeah. close of them that wasn't like Walmart. I I worked at that mall uh, during my high school career. Did you really? At the Chuck at the Chuck E. Cheese. I, I forgot opened you it. were a Chuck E. Cheese Charles. Employee. Yeah. So I, not just a Chuck E. Cheese employee. I heard that he they were closing all Charles, the Charles Entertainment Cheese. Entertainment Cheese. I was, as as ardent listeners of uh, the network will know, because we had a long discussion I about this that. on AP a couple of months back. I was, in fact, Charles Entertainment Cheese on the reg. What was the um, stickiest thing a kid put on your suit? So that... I was usually good on that particular front because when I was in the suit, I would tend to operate in the arcade, which was what I was actually there to do. I was a game room technician. So I would work the arcade on a pretty regular basis just to make sure that nobody was messing with shit. So that when I, and if somebody was messing with shit, I knew what needed fixed when I came back. Um, you didn't go fix machines in the Chucky suit. God, I wish. That would have been hilarious. There's just no dexterity with those gloves. <laughs> That's when you They're... take the gloves off. So you're just like Chucky with the human hands, and you. Give Charles them Entertainment Cheese gives <laughs> children nightmares anyway. That would have been yeah. a really good last pizza. Day. Pizza um, Rat is scary. Pizza Rat a little scary. Um, my my move if I was unable to do that. What they would force me to do is go dance birthday parties. And that was if um, a classmate of mine who was the his full situation at Chuck E. Cheese was to be Charles Entertainment Cheese. That was his only job. Every so often he would work birthday parties, but rarely because he's a dude and they did not staff men in the birthday room. Um, Why? uh, Sexism. Pretty much, yeah. Like they just they 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 didn't want guys working with little kids, especially high school guys. So they gave it was just it was just women except for this one dude, and he worked that room as Chuck E. Cheese, and that was it. And I think he only got that job because he was kind of short. Um, <laughs> he fit the suit, <laughs> but pretty much he he fit the suit. He was like about six inches shorter than me. Um, but every so often that suit is hot and he would need to sit back there in the back room for like half an hour to not get heat stroke. So I would throw the suit on and like do a quick tour around. Um, and, uh, there was another individual, uh, one of the managers, his name was James. James was built like a brick shithouse. He was uh, (laughs) fresh off a tour of the Navy. Uh, and he loved being Chuck E. Cheese more than anything fucking else. Some people... Um, so Chuck could, Chuck could fluctuate, Chuck could fluctuate from being like a, a flat six foot to a solid seven, seven and a half feet tall in a night, depending on who was working. I'm uncomfortable with that piece of information. I'm not. I've had to live with it for almost fully half my life at this point. Cause I was 17 when I worked there. But, uh. No, uh, during the pandemic, uh, Chuck E. Cheese started delivering gas. No, who wants they to do cha- They re- they rebranded. So they started delivering to Pasquelli's Pizza. Yep. 
which you would only know that was Chuck E. Cheese if you were deep in the Chuck lore <laughs> and knew that Pasquelli was the pizza guy. The Chuck E. Cheese in the band. Chuck E. Cheese band. Pizza guy. I'm going to need you I'm sorry. to never, deep in never the Chuck e. say the word. Lore. Chuck lore. <laughs> the again. Chuck lore. Yes. You should again. never you should never, never say that you're deep again. in Chuck E. Cheese. Um ever. <sighs> you I were was the one cheese. With Chuck E. Cheese. You can't get deeper than that. So is it true that they're going under? Are you So they have declared bankruptcy, which does not necessarily mean they're going under. They're probably going to sell off a bunch of locations, shut a bunch of shit down. So I hope Um, they get the one that's up on Central because uh, when I, again, was a manager at Lowe's, that Chuck E. Cheese set off a bunch of bottle rockets off the roof and caught the roof of the Lowe's on fire. Oh, no! Well, we don't need to water the motherfucker Uh, burn. Well... (laughs) If you've ever been in the Central Lowe's, Central Road Lowe's, yeah. The roof. Well, it wasn't Central. It's Monroe Street. It was Monroe Street. Fire. Yeah, it was. It made everybody unhappy. Was it airport? I can't remember. I don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. No one's to fact check that. It was one. There was a Chuck E. Cheese next to a Lowe's. I think it was airport. I don't remember. On one of the busier streets in like suburban Toledo. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Either way. There was like a war between Lowe's and Chuck E. Cheese, which means there was a bunch of like 40 and 50 year old That's men who works who generally, at Lowe's. generally who works at Lowe's. Yep. And high school. Who generally girls. is who works at Chuck E. Cheese. I do want this Netflix original series. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like that's a season. I, of, like like I don't watch Superstore, but that's a season of Superstore. Yeah, I was gonna right say. There. I feel like it's Superstore and Waiting smashed together. Yeah, uh, with except creep Waiting is like in the middle. Yeah, wait, like age down the Waiting cast by about like a solid yeah. four years across the board. Oh goodness, goodness! Yeah, it was. Mm. It, uh, it was that, that is a, it was the best of times. <laughs> was, it was the worst of times. Um. Yeah, there was, uh, of all of you the rivalries who, you, inside of the Toledo, the greater Toledo area. You know rivalry. who else was having was the worst it King times? Duncan's? Was it Macbeth? It was, it was King Duncan. I was going to say Lady Mackers. No, I think King Duncan yeah. had the worst of it. Because he was uh, all trusting and shit, and then he was dead. He was all trusting and shit, but he also didn't, like, have a whole lot of actually, time to realize you know, how Banquo bad his probably. times got. Le- Banquo. McDuff had, had a, had a good... Mm. But and McDuff, McDuff got like, to win at the end. Did he though? Because all he won was the crown, and all of his family is true. Dead. But he did get to cut off Macker's head, which I mean, that's a solid plus. I mean, it doesn't erase that his family was murdered, but it is a solid plus. So something for us to calculate is how many Shakespeare plays do we hate the titular character? I don't hate hmm. Mackers. But you take joy in his death. He's a good villain. He's an interesting villain. His his wife is, he a villain? is a good villain. She is an his interesting is villain. villain. They He is a sword and a wine. He's still he's there I said he it. is whiny. He's whiny. He is, but he also has some really good words. 
Mm-hmm. He does have some very good words. He's... He does have some very good so, words. So, uh, Cassie, any any language notes? One of our wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Introduce hold on. what we're doing, even. Oh yeah, we're we a good eleven minutes in. Like, yeah, this is episode seventy-seven. Yeah. of the Shakespeare podcast. I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. And, I'm but James language Greenlee. is a great place to start off with. And this we one. are. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really iconic Shakespeare speeches from this show. Um, so you've got tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in its petty pace from day to day. Which a lot of people know now that didn't know before from uh, Hamilton. Because it yes, was heavily I did, I yeah, quoted in, in there. Hamilton. I did um, not I know that. I memorized that in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is a yeah. central point in one of the songs. It's actually, uh, Lynn did this on purpose, a little nod to Shakespeare and the theater superstition. Um, he has Hamilton at the, at the at the beginning of Act 2. He's writing this letter, and he references tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And then he says the name Macbeth on stage in the theater and that is the point where everything falls apart in Hamilton's life from that moment on to the end of the show is where interesting just goes wrong for him and and Lynn the writer has said that that was a deliberate well and that is the only that is the only time so you're allowed to one... say the name on stage though is if you are directly like if you're in the play or you're directly it is a line that you have to deliver Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also screw your courage to this sticking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of iconic lines well, from so- sound and bubble, sound bubble. and fury. Yeah, sound and fury. Um, double double toil and trouble. Like a lot of really solid language, but there's also some interesting language usage, specifically with Lady Macbeth. Um, she speaks in verse for the whole show until she goes mad and then she starts speaking in prose, which is kind of an interesting use of the verse prose dichotomy because typically we see that as like a class difference or we see it as like private thoughts versus performative thoughts. And in here it's kind of an unraveling, like when she's on top of her life and she's on top of this plan she speaks in a very structured way, but when she starts to lose control, that structure falls away and she just speaks. Well, I think that goes um, back to, I don't think she's mad. I think she's has a loss of consciousness there because she mm-hmm. is sleepwalking. She's asleep. And so that structure breakdown, I love that. That she is so in her waking life, when she can be in control, it is structured. It is that moment of, talking about killing somebody and then turning and welcoming them into your home. But as soon as she's asleep, she goes crazy with that unstructured prose. I like and I that. like that read of it, too, because at no point prior to that scene does she display any hesitation or any sort of regret or remorse over it and then all of a sudden we see her in act five freaking out over the blood on her hands and i think it's you have to find a way to justify that you have to find a way to build into your version of the story why does this affect her 
so suddenly when it doesn't affect her at all earlier in the story. And I, I like, Beth, your interpretation of these remorses and regrets and this display of conscience can't actually come out while she's awake because she forces it down. But when she's asleep, that comes to the surface. Yeah. And it is troubling her, but not in a way that she's aware of because she's so focused on this ambition and being ruthless and, and bloodthirsty. And I think that the language usage kind of supports that a little bit, that loss of control that comes with sleep. <laughs> and that's, that's my, uh, my mic drop linguistic, uh, highly <laughs> scholastic take for the evening. Well, and I think that actually leads in really well, unless somebody else has another language point they'd like to make um, to another permapin agency of women. Because yeah. I don't, you can't talk about this show without talking about Lady M's agency. So we've got because it is two women in this. Well, three. Technically, a myriad of women. No, technically, there's a myriad once you get into yeah. the witches. But let's look at two, two actual women, as it were, mm-hmm. that are not mythical creatures. And you've got Lady Macbeth and Lady Macduff. Mm-hmm. that's it so we know there's a queen because there's a prince but we don't see her anywhere in here or hear about her or hear about her at all but Lady Macbeth is probably one of the strongest female characters we get from Shakespeare yeah And I think it's interesting to talk about her with regards to agency because she's got a fuck ton of it juxtaposed up against Macbeth, who doesn't always have as much, especially when he's talking to his wife. Like, there are so many instances where he's going back and forth and she's the one who comes in and goes, this is what you're going to do and now go do it. He he is very much a boat on the tide of what people tell. So he's told this thing by the witches. And so he moves his boat that direction. He doesn't, like, there's almost no steering of his own. So I would almost say that she has all of the agency. Yeah, I would actually none. be willing to agree with that, that. That in his own story, he's not the one who's making the calls. He's not the one that is that is calling the shots. He makes no further decisions after her death. Nope, he just fights. It's just that, and that that's thrust and, on him. And he, not even, he didn't and, go looking for the fight. Yeah, his he, he decision doesn't leave is his survival. castle to go find it. Macduff has to come find him. Mm-hmm. Like, he, and it's also really interesting, as you were saying before, what people tell him that. Early on, everything he's doing is he's told by the witches, and then it's he's told by his wife. So not only does he not have a lot of agency, all the decisions that he makes are driven. He by he him makes he uh, he. It could be said that he does make the decision to kill Banquo. He does make the decision to kill Macduff's family. But he wouldn't do either of those things if he had not been steered to them by the witches and by Lady M. 
Do we actually get a scene where he's ordering the murderers to go to Macduff's house? Or does the messenger just come in and tell Mac- um, Macduff, here comes I, somebody to uh, kill you? I do not believe that he actually has a scene with them. Um, he he talks about so well. He talks about it when he finds out that Macduff is in. Just go to. Uh... All right. So he makes a de- yeah. he makes a decision then. He makes. But a it's still then. he's still. But, but it's this. Yeah, it's still ultimately decisions that all come out of yeah. his wife going well it's 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 a murder plan it's in for a penny in for a king. pound <laughs> and he takes that to an extreme um you know like once he's got the murder in him he can't stop because he thinks that he's he he keeps his paranoia is that he's going to get caught so he keeps trying to get rid of the people that could catch him Right. And I think that there's a way when you're talking about agency of women with this play, there's a way to make that even more overt. So Chase and I watched the the Patrick Stewart Which is a which is a great version of it. And one of the things it is. And one of the things that I noticed and really liked is that they put the witches in everywhere. Oh yeah. Like the witches are constantly in the background. So at the banquet they're the ones like serving uh the food like and it just really makes it feel like these witches got together one day and said you know it'd be fun uh let's drive macbeth to madness i was in uh i was in a production of mackers in toledo uh we did it a black box uh, on ut's campus um directed by matt gretzinger who coincidentally was Banquo in uh, the Mackers I was in when I was in eighth grade at BGSU. And then I was playing Banquo for him <laughs> when he directed mm. it. Um, and the witches, the witches never left the stage. Nice. They were always Ooh, somewhere like yeah. on stage. Because I think that that really does make it feel like they are pulling all of the strings. And in that instance, if you stage it that way, they're the there was only a- characters who have any agency. So if they're the ones dictating the flow of the story entirely, then the agency of this And a thing I want to bring up with that one, to too. Uh, slightly off topic of agency of women, but it made me think of it because, like I said, they never left the stage. And they similar things like you were talking about. One of the coolest things, because we were doing it in a black box theater, um, exits and entrances, obviously, it's a much smaller, more confined area. When I was playing Banquo, when I got murdered, there was a block in the center of the stage, and there was a drip coming from above that was lit to look red. And it was dripping into a, mm. a, a thing at the center of the stage. When I got murdered, I got murdered on that block, and they brought the banquet table in over me. So then when it was time for the banquet scene, I came out from under the table to take the seat uh, at the at the banquet. That's cool. um, but yeah, and 
Yeah, it was a really was kind of a really cool staging, and you made me think of it because we started talking about how the witches never were never gone, and this is you know with the Patrick Stewart thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and the the witches for me it, is the that whole matrix. Like, if I didn't tell you about the vase, would you have broken it? If the witches hadn't, would said he have anything, ever done any? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the whole, self-fulfilling like, prophecy, prophecy of catch twenty yeah. two that you always run into. And um, if you don't know the future, you can't try to influence it. Right. And so I think that's we. Clearly, everybody comes back to Macbeth over and over and over again. And I think we love to explore that. If you knew what was going to happen, what would you do? If the prophecy you were told was positive, how far would you go to make yeah. it happen? What What would you do? How How would you go out of your way to affect that? So, uh, the other, speaking of agency of women, uh, Macduff's wife, she is the only other female on stage. But the, the gentlewoman, and but she's barely there. You know, she's just there to report on what. She's, yeah, she's there. She, like, pets her son on Yeah, the lady, table. lady, yeah. Tells him he's pretty. So you've got this, and I think she's there just to juxtapose. The power of Lady Macbeth with the lack of power of Lady Macbeth. Yeah, well, and she's upset because her husband left, went off to England and left yeah. her there. Means you can sleep sideways on the bed. But, you know, she's, she's, she's there to, you know, for that. But yeah, she's, she's there strictly as an impetus to move Macduff forward. Drink more beer. You use the word impetus. <laughs> speaking, speaking of beers, I have another. This is also related. It is a blood orange, uh, blonde ale. So I picked it Ooh. because it has blood, and this is what we're talking about. I uh, I am drinking Feist beer, which is an mm. Oktoberfest style lager. Uh, it might sound familiar because it's leftover from last yeah. time. Col- Columbus Excellent. brewing Oktoberfest. Bought two six packs last episode, and I don't drink except for this. So Fair yeah, jet, well, jet black I, heart and a blood orange blonde ale. So I had a a s'mores yammy from Platform Brewing. It was pretty good. It was pretty. How good. does that relate to Macbeth? It doesn't. I just really like this beer, and it's a seasonal one, which means it's going to be gone in like three weeks because seasonal beers now, unless they make way too much of it, start a month before the season and end right about the time the season ends. Yeah. And uh, Christmas beers will be starting really the next time the which wind is a, changes, which so. is a which is a bummer. I do, I do it not, is. and maybe that's what I'll try to find for next time we do this. I don't mm-hmm. like Christmas beers. I can't think of a single Christmas beer I've ever liked. There's Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Don't, don't put mm. fruit in my beer. Dad. Well, the fruit fruit is not in Christmas beer. Christmas ales don't have fruit in them. There was one like cherry. Oh uh, yeah, I can see. Christmas I can see somebody doing a cherry beer. Yeah. Like a cherry, oh, like a gross. cherry cordial. Um, 
But there's always Ryan Reingeist's spices. dad is very dad, good. Dad okay. is one of my favorite beers. I love that I'll beer. Try it. I always feel like they end up putting spices in it and it ends up tasting Sometimes sometimes do you, they're Do you remember when Coors bought Killigan's? Yeah. Yeah. And it went from being a good beer to a beer that somebody floated like a pack of spices in. Yeah. Sometimes they go over with the spice, and that's usually the problem I have with most Christmas ales and winter warmers. Um, the problem I have with what um, happens to Lady M is that she's literally only there <laughs> to nice. That was that was a that was a good. That was for that you. Was that was for you. Um, she's only there to drive Macduff forward, um, and so she is the opposite. It, like in so many Ooh. ways, the opposite of Lady. Um, There's a term. There's a term for what she is. She's a girl in a refrigerator. Mm. I forget. Yeah. I oh, I never find a reason to use that literary term. She's fridge. Yep. She yep. is. Her only purpose is to drive the hero to do heroic things. Yep. Which I guess is. The, the the there's a huge similarity and a huge difference between the ladies M. One is the driving force for her husband actively, and one is the driving force for her husband passively. If Lady Macbeth could have taken the crown and been king, would it have been different? No. No. I think that she would have moved into the same foibles that her husband got into, but she would have done so more decisively. But she still descended into madness, and she would have eventually had her downfall as well. She'd have figured out that woman-born thing. She probably would have. She was probably <laughs> she was definitely smarter than her husband. Yes. Um. So, yeah. There's there's two. Completely different women. They do the same thing. They drive their husbands forward. But one, you know, by being murdered and one by, you know, actually actively <laughs> pushing him to do what she wants. Mm-hmm. Her, her ambition drives the play forward. If I were a man. Oh God, that I were. But yeah, her her ambition is is what drives the play forward. That line right there, that oh God, if I were a man, one of my favorite feminist I took it as feminist posters I ever had up in my house was a Navy propaganda poster, which said, "Gee, I wish I were a man. I'd join the Navy." Always made me laugh. I remember that, Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I remember that poster. If she. Well, it's hung in the bathroom. You probably looked at it while you pooped at my house a lot. Probably. Probably. Um, so... So what's our next let's, pin? Let's do... Well, this is... Uh, I don't want to do adaptations yet. It's a long one. So let's... What's what's she got? No. Uh, so so we've got the ways that madness okay. manifests. Okay. We wanted to talk about that. I really noticed... Like, I notice this every time I read. But I was really noticing this while I was watching this be performed this afternoon that it's so interesting to watch this this opposite track that Mackers and, and Lady Mackers go on 
So Macbeth starts off waffling back and forth. He has an attack of conscience. Maybe I don't want to actually do this. This seems drastic and extreme. But once he starts murdering people, then he's like, no, 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 this is just the path I'm on now. And he actually, like, is solidified in many ways by his madness. Which was really interesting to watch. Whereas Lady M became untethered and, like, unhinged. And it was interesting to see the switch flip for both of them. It's a because the concept for her was fine. The action of doing it was too much. And him, the concept was too much. But once the action's committed, we can't do anything about it. I've already done it. Might as well clean well, up the mess. He, so, it, like, there's a pragmatism there. He also doesn't do personally too much murdering just that first one just that yeah no it, like it is regicide and that is to be noted. it's a big one like he's that crossing being, a big one off yeah. the, putting a big old fucking check mark there like you've got a specific side there you only get so many of those like per kingdom um but going past that he's just ordering people to do killings and like as a as a thane, he was doing a good chunk of that yep. anyways. It was war. Yeah. Like I mean, it's, got, not, it, it's true. It's not like Duncan is the first man he killed. That right. day, probably. Well, no, I mean I oh. mean Duncan shows up pretty quick after He's, that battle, you know. They were talking about it, him splitting a man from Nate yeah, to well, Chaps. That's literally when he enters when he enters Wait, Nave to Chaps. Yeah. That's just down. That's a line. Yeah, right. yeah, it's like it's Boop. right, right down the. It's not even bisecting. Your nave is your navel. Your chaps. I mean, mm-hmm. there's ten inches. It's it's a vital. Yeah, it's a pretty important ten inches. <laughs> that's where all the. Yeah. that's where all the important I'm not, shit is. I'm not saying it's not that you don't need those ten inches. What I'm saying <laughs> is that if I were to split it's you hard from to split somebody open sternum. Mm-hmm. To chaps. Look, Lady Macbeth. Uh, Lady Macbeth was wanting ten inches, and Macbeth failed to deliver. Yeah, because he would pass out if he popped ten inches. It's a lot of blood to lose at once. Um, but yeah, he's literally coming back to to the house, and she's helping him out of his armor. You know, and then the king's gonna show up. So yeah, he Duncan's not even necessarily the first guy he killed that day, right? What do you think her reaction was? When she got the letter. So we see her progression, right? From mm-hmm. pragmatic to losing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas he goes from losing it to pragmatic. What do you think her reaction is when she first opens that letter? And it's like, King, huh? Him? That's dumb. Well, maybe. I, I think, I don't think that she... How would we get him here? I, I don't think that she views him as dumb and he's not dumb he's just yes unsure he waffles he's he's not all right he's not we we need to pause i gotta go to waffle house you're all saying waffles enough that i really want (laughs) breakfast food 
That does sound very good right now. We got Give me all the bacon and eggs that you have. You heard <laughs> get me a lot of bacon and eggs. Said what I was, said give me was bring me all of your bacon eggs. and eggs. I know I sh- I knew I should have made quoting Parks and Rec square <laughs> on the bingo card. I'm surprised it's not. Um I almost said, Give me crown please. Crown please. Crown please. <laughs> Murder, Murder please. please. You didn't say please. Murder now. Not. I think there's there's also a. I don't a like what you're saying. The, and I if you tell me no again, wrong. I'm gonna set fire to the bathroom. <laughs> I have done nothing wrong ever in my life. I know this, and I love you. Murder, please. Uh. I would like. I would like a spinoff of just the Ralphio shows, like. I don't actually I was about to say don't say that too loud because then people will hear you, but I actually do also want that. I just want to do that would be literally the worst. Fifteen minute YouTube. Like I want Ben Schwartz to have more work because he's a delight. Have you he's done an entire improv thing with the kid from Milton and Schwartz? It's good. Milton and Schwartz. It's good. Um also uh, was the voice of Sonic in the most recent Sonic movie, which was way better than it had any right to be. Also, he is one of the An- Huey Dewey Louie, can't remember, from mm. uh, Duck Animated Wars. Animated Sonic is the nightmares. It's, it's, is it good? Should I watch it? Cassie liked it. I liked it, which... The, do you know what else I Cassie I was just likes? watching it. I was just watching it to get to the Jumanji. The CGI... Sonic is... Um, it was a drive-in the new, movie theater. The new, no, no, no. The new CGI okay, Sonic is better. I got there. Terrifying. I don't know. Um, stuff of nightmares. <laughs> Just watching it to get to Jumanji too. Hey, look, I... Jumanji is my a, happy word. So. I really I really enjoyed the first Jumanji. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. The second one's also really good. Um. Anyway, so... Anything else to say about madness in this play? No, I just think it's a really interesting... If you take the time to really delve into it, I think it can be the mo- one of the more interesting things about the play. Because I don't really care about the battles, and I don't give a shit who's kidding. And he, cra- well, he cracks back to it at the end. So he starts... He starts... Losing it early and becomes composed throughout the play, but then loses it again, basically, when she dies. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's what that speech is about. Like Nothing, nothing he, well, he goes full nihilist at the end yeah. of the play. Not, nothing matters. People cut off your Johnson Lebowski. Um, he... You know, he doesn't care about anything anymore at that point. And that is, that is, that is, that is his madness at the end of, look, none of this fucking matters and it's all bullshit and I'm just going to, I'm here and I don't care if the trees came to my house. I'm going to fight. You should probably care when the trees come to your house. But like, it's just guys and gillies. He just, he just accepts it. He's like. He's like, oh, fuck. The forest is... Fine. Fuck it. Get your get your swords. Let's fucking do this. At least we'll be saddled. There's a great moment. There's a great moment when the the scout comes in and he's like, what do you see? He's like, well, 
it sounds crazy. You're not going to believe me. It's it was like the trees started moving, and Macbeth has this moment of yeah, say that the fuck <laughs> to my face. <laughs> what did you say to me out of your mouth? My house and talk about fucking trees. <laughs> and it's it's a really interesting repeat moment with Macduff later when he's like, "Dude, you can't do shit to me. I can't be hurt by someone who was born of a woman." And there's that great like moment to bring out your oh shit yep. face mm-hmm. when Macduff has but, his line. Patrick Stewart's got a great oh shit face. T- t- ten out Macduff of ten. Macduff was from his mother's womb, untimely ripped. And oh shit! Um, I don't even think about that. So, but yeah, with regards to the the madness, I think it would be really interesting to stage this play and not have Banquo play Banquo's ghost, and to have nobody on stage. Which is definitely I have seen that. I have seen that, and I like it. It's definitely I like it better. I've seen it with like a, a a spotlight. On that spot, like a really hard Ooh, spot. I like that. Yeah. I like because that. Because I feel like if you put the ghost of Banquo there, you're kind of validating that Macbeth is, there is a ghost, but Macbeth is seeing the ghost and nobody else is. Whereas if Banquo's not there, then it's just that conscience coming forward again. So another interesting, but another yeah, interesting really thing highlights. to do too, um, is... I've also seen it with the boy. With Flayance there. To play up the madness of of Macbeth is no wishes. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking the scene where he sees all the visions that they bring forth. It would be really interesting to do that with him alone on stage, have the witches like just their voices coming from off stage or amplified, but Macbeth completely alone. So you make the audience question. Yeah. Is well, any and, of this and actually you, real? In the in the first meeting, you don't have the witches there and they don't address Banquo. Instead, Macbeth addresses their words to Banquo. Macbeth says, and they're saying that you, your your sons will be kings, and things like that. And then Banquo was questioning right from the rip, like, what the did yeah. he get hit in the head while we were? And I think that's a much more interesting. Like, it's it's a it as much get, as I'd hate to cut the witches really out because I love really the witches. Fast, it so. could. You have to be. Yeah. You have to be very careful with it. It could. You could fuck it up real easy, but. And I hate to cut the witches because they're well, such... and I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to cut them, but physically. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I don't like the idea of cutting them because I think and Cassie and I were talking about this today while we were watching. It's like I love it when magic and Shakespeare when when Shakespeare uses magic and the director makes magic yeah. weird because in the in the Stuart it magic is yeah. weird. It is awful and it is creepy. Um, if you haven't seen it, it is set in like, it feels like an Eastern European World War One between World War One, World War Two ish technology. Uh, and the witches look like nurses, Ooh. uh, throughout the entire time. 
Um, but that co- costume is constantly recontextualized depending yeah. on what's going on because, like Cassie said earlier, they show up constantly and they're in the kitchens and serving dinner and they look like maids because that's just what their costumes yeah. look like. But it is initially contextualized as being field, nurses. Field nurses. And when yeah. – yeah. Um, and they use that to great effect and they make the magic look weird and creepy. And it when works I was, when I was the in entire it, time. Um, at BGSU, um, the apparition scene, they had this weird, like deformed baby that they made and like one of the witches birthed it on stage and it had an umbilical cord that was made out of like marshmallow and one of the the other witches bit through the umbilical cord (laughs) after the the that's a way to do it they pulled the baby out of the one witch and like bit through the umbilical cord they made made that works marshmallow ropes every easter well, this was like this was 1995. I don't know if uh, if they had those then or not. I think they made this themselves out of the you mm-hmm. know the you know props. But I think that this is a good lead into adaptations. I think. Yeah, and there. Oh yeah. my god, there's a lot of them. This so, is one of the most so adapted pieces of literature yeah. out there. I mean, in film. Uh, there's been adaptations going back to D.W. Griffith did one in 1916, Ludwig Landman 1913. So you've got film versions going back then. Um, uh, let's not forget Akira Kurosawa. Oh my god, Ran. A, a, no, it's Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood. Yeah. Sorry, Ran is Lear. Yeah, Ran. Yeah. Akira Kurosawa adapted like three Shakespeare plays, um, and Throne of Blood, or as its other name. Um, the direct translation of its Japanese title is Spiderweb Castle, which is the other mm. name that that one is. I like Throne, I like of, Blood Throne of Blood better, yeah. too. Um, David Bradley did a, a version of it that Charlton Heston was the costume designer for. My very favorite, uh, although I don't support him at all as a person, but Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski did one. Mm. He is it a is- shitbird. But his film version is... Yep, let him never set up on U.S. soil without being arrested. He is a pedophile. But that's a great yep. play. That's a that's a great movie. It's a great movie. And his, like... I, Orson Welles' if you've version never, is... If, you, if you've never watched the Polanski one, um, which I don't know if many people have now... But he it was the first movie he made after Sharon Tate's murder it was, yeah, right by at, Charles right Manson. Right after Sharon Tate was killed. So mm. when you look at, of, of all of the versions that I've seen, the scene with the apparitions, the creepiest one is that one. Um, right. Orson Welles. Because the baby, like the baby, like he reenacted Sharon Tate's murder on screen. Yeah. It's gross. It's gross. Yeah, Orson, Orson Welles. Welles did one in 1948 uh, did... that's really weird. Not in a uh, weird, like, necessarily good way. 
in a weird like Orson Welles being Orson Welles, <laughs> like he fucking Orson Welles all over the place. Um, I, they had a. Sometimes it's really good. It, it was it it's was all, very abstract. It was filmed on like a seven hundred thousand dollar budget on in twenty three days. Like it's one of his one shot. Every take is one take. They pre recorded. Mm. They pre recorded all the dialogue. I mean, that's just a play. Yeah, they pre they yeah. pre recorded. They pre recorded all up. of the dialogue so that way they could just do whatever they wanted in the film. Um. All right. The in two thousand fifteen. Uh, I was so excited for this, and then it didn't come to any theater near us. Mm. But uh, Michael Fassbender—that was the Australian Aust- one. No, that was the two thousand and six. That was the two thousand and six one. Yeah, I don't think it was Australian. No, it was. It was very much like Braveheart meets. Okay, because you got him with like when he's going into the battles, he's like covered in woad, and it's very. Scottish, yeah, sure. and it is visceral in a way that uh-huh. even the very bloody ones aren't sweaty. Like everybody in there looks like they would taste salty. So, uh- but the relationship between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth is an intense look at his obsession with her. Mm-hmm. And how much he relies on what she thinks, says, and does. And how... I'm here for that. How that, that snap really works. So he is a very, like, powerful man still. And then mm-hmm. she walks into the room and he's just, like, what, like wrap, wrapped around her. Um, so... Right. Uh, I, I want to kick back to... Um, Throne of Blood, real quick, because Throne of Blood is oh yeah, it's a good really one. interesting. In um, so it's it's a Japanese period piece, um, and it draws on no theater with uh, the evil spirit for the witches and the Lady Macbeth character, and um, Kabuki theater in the depiction of. Um, their Macbeth character, Washizu, who is played by Toshiro Mifune, who is an amazing Japanese actor in the 50s. Um, and a twist, twist ending. Um, but you should watch it anyway. Spoiler alert for a movie that was made like 63 years ago. Um, no spoilers for Ian. <laughs> instead of the Macduff character, a Macduff character killing the Macbeth character at the end. He is killed when when Spiderweb Forest comes to Spiderweb Castle. He is killed by his own men. Because oh. they find out that he lied about uh, who killed the first king's the, death. their former master. Um, so, yeah. uh, a, a little bit of a twist. There's also an entire sub-genre of Macbeth-based gangster movies. Huh. Um, Joe Joe what? Macbeth from 1955, Men of Respect from 1991. There's a Bollywood one called Macbool. Uh, I'm sorry, could you say it again? Macbool. I... It's the Bolly- Macbool? Bollywood 
version of Macbeth that was from 2003. I would, There's an Australian. I think I'd watch yeah, the fuck Yeah, I really out of that. want to. I did not know it existed, but now it's like, it's in Urdu and Hindi. Um, <laughs> I want to watch that. Um, There's a Sam Worthington version of Macbeth that looks like a straight up vampire. Um, there's an Australian ver- version. So like, there's a like a straight up, there's a straight up crime drama gangster subgenre of uh of Macbeth movies that's out there, um, including um, like I said, Men of Respect. Um, it use it actually that one is is highly praised for its mafia rituals and stuff like that even more so than than godfather and goodfellas um Mm -hmm. there's a cell animated version for shakespeare animated tales um one of my favorite adaptations is called scotland pa i love scotland pa which is um macbeth as a comedy thriller Set in a 1970s fast food joint. James LaGrosse plays a guy named Mac. Maura Tierney, uh-uh. Maura Tierney plays Pat, who's the Lady M. And Christopher Walken plays Ernie McDuff, the vegetarian detective. <clears throat> All right, I've written it down. It's on the to watch list. It's so it's, good. It, it sounds pretty good. It's awesome. Um, and uh, like, uh, I forgot about I'm, Scotland PA completely. I, I, yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite all time adaptations. Um, um, it got uh, they made a musical out of it. I'm sorry. Ryan. Oh yeah. They made a musical out of it. Oh no, the Sam Worthington one that you're talking about—that's the Australian. That's the, one. That's yeah, that's. I just I was looking up a little bit. I'm like, there's the Sam Worthington one. Oh my gosh, it looks so dumb. It's the Australian one. Um, uh, I think this is yeah. So so Shia LaBeouf directed this story. Uh, Shia LaBeouf directed a, a short film called Born Villain. That was inspired by Macbeth, and it stars Marilyn so Manson. It, if we sit here and recount every single uh, reinterpretation and adaptation of Macbeth, oh, we're yeah, going to exactly. be here we all night. So, when let's 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 because let's be real here. There's one adaptation we need to be talking about, and that's the one that we did. Yo, fly, fly guy. guy. Well, I also want to know if there's any YA ones. Oh. Oh, don't worry. I have both a YA adaptation and a literary oh, series adaptation shit. for this we'll one. Oh, shit. We'll get to those. All right. Yeah. Well, Cassie, go okay. ahead and take us in on that because uh, I think Yo Fly Guy is going to be where we end things. Yes. So there is a, a, a YA novel. So when we talked about Hamlet, I said there's this book called Ophelia, which recontextualizes Hamlet from Ophelia's perspective. The same author did one for Macbeth. But it's called Lady Macbeth's Daughter. And it starts with the point of Lady Macbeth says in her big famous speech, you know, I have been a mother. I know what it is like to have a baby suckle at my breast. Except that there's never anything else ever said about any children of this couple. 
And so this book started from that place of, okay, she said that, which means that she had to have had a child at some point. So who was that child? And so it is the story of Albia, who is uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth's daughter. But when she was born, she had a mangled foot. And so Macbeth said to leave her in the woods to die. And she was taken in by the weird sisters and raised by them. And so it recontextualizes everything that they do as kind of revenge against Macbeth for like how it. he treated his innocent daughter. I like that. Um, and I, I read it forever ago. So I remember almost nothing about it. Except that I think it's her idea to like strap tree branches to their heads to make the f- Burnham Wood come to Dunsinane. Um, I remember enjoying it. Uh, but there, but that is out there, Lady Macbeth's daughter. Um, and then there is the promise of a literary web series. Um, unfortunately, it's one of the many things that has gotten kind of derailed. The by Rona COVID. got it. Stupid COVID. Uh, but if you if you are at all familiar with Lizzie Bennet Diaries, uh, Ashley Clements of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries was on the creative team putting together a literary web series called A Tale Told by an Idiot, which is going to be a modernized version of Shakespeare reimagined as a digital series set in the video game startup world of Silicon Beach. They they clearly need us involved in this project, right? <laughs> and uh, it was one of these things that was really, you know, on track and then COVID happened and it kind of derailed derailed them and there hasn't been an update on the project since April of this year but I have high hopes that it is going to uh, start back up and it's Ashley uh, Clements and who's her partner? His first name is Brendan and I'm horrible. I can't remember his last name but he's done some other literary web series projects um, Shakespeare meets Silicon Valley, an indie VR game company, lives and works together in a private residence of, in, of Duncan. Max, the idea guy, Benny does all the art, Malcolm plays video games all day, and Beth and Donnie do all the work. So, is Hank Green involved in this one in the same way? No, Hank Green is not involved in this any, this one at all. I'm just, just checking. By the way, he's got a Twitter you should follow, it's good. Or a Twitter, he's got, yes. TikTok. TikTok. No, his TikTok game is on his point. His TikTok game is on point. Um, but is that is that what you got, yes, my dear? Yes, that's, that's what I got. All right, so, uh, All right flag hopefully man. Hopefully, I'll be able to tell. Hopefully, I'll be able to tell you more information in the future about like, yes, this thing exists now, and you should go watch it. Um, I did give the money to their Kickstarter, so I do get updates when they make them. Um, hoping for more information on that soon because I'm really intrigued to see how that. That sounds like sounds really and how interesting. To take the story. And and make it modern, but I think it's way more important to talk about your flag guy. Your so, flag guy. So, so this has become an infamous performance and series of moments um, that happened when we so, did so Macbeth was, here with Lionface Productions. Two thousand and eight, ten, ten. It was right ten. after two thousand and ten. This was. The f- the first full season that we got um, with Lionface, the first season we were supposed to have 
Um, no, this was the second season. Was the second season? Second season. Mm-hmm. Because we had done, yes, because we did, we did Titus. We did Titus, and like that was like kind of a half season. This was the this first was the full first full season, season. So, and it was it started with with Mackers, uh, directed by Michael Porteous. Um, Tyler Lemons was the titular character. Cat <laughs> titular. Cat <laughs> uh, was Lady M. I played Macduff. Mm-hmm. Um, Chase was young mm-hmm. Seward. I was young Seward and I had, uh, the, what in our production was like the opening very long monologue. And I will never, that's why I remember the knave to chat bit because that monologue was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever had to memorize and recite on stage. And I don't know it was why. was Captain's exposition mm-hmm. in the beginning of the play there. So we took this show on the road. I think this is the, also the only show we ever ended up taking on the road. Yeah, they didn't ask uh, us back. <laughs> well, so we took it on the road to, to Scott High School, which is an inner city Toledo high school. A, a friend of the company was working there and had asked us to come up to kind of show them this show. Uh, to an audience that doesn't normally get to see Shakespeare. So we're like, absolutely, well, 100%. Not even just Shakespeare, any theater at all. Fair. This was made up of kids who, for many, if not most of them, seeing you guys perform this show was their first exposure to live theater at we all. We were super pumped to do this because one of the reasons that we wanted to do Lion Face was to do things like this. Like, go into a school... Um, and, and be that exposure. Well, everybody remembers their first theater experience. Yeah. And so this was someone's. This was several people. It's not like we were taking a boring show. This was a, we put on a very good production that was. I'm not saying we didn't. I'm just saying flag guy. So it's near the end of the show and the audience is incredibly responsive to us throughout the entire run of the show um and we had a coming and going for periods uh i think some of them were it was some of them yeah some of them were not there the whole time yeah it was a bit of a situation like trying to you know set those expectations and set our expectations it yes but Burnham Wood is coming to Dunsinane. Burnham Wood is coming to Dunsinane. And we had this fight, whole fight scene choreographed really well. Uh, I think Ryan Zarecki had this one. Yes. Uh, this is one of the ones that he did for us. Um, and so, uh, those of us who are making the charge onto Dunsinane, uh, we're at the back of the auditorium. And this is the first time we've also performed the show inside as well. So we have these spears. People who have spears are like slamming them on the ground. And then we have, uh, one of our actors, uh, Jeff Sneed was standing in the center back. He's got the, uh, the banner and he is slamming it on the ground in time with everybody with the spears. This room is just filled with sound. We've got Macbeth screaming up on on the stage and from the middle of the audience we hear yo flag guy fuck him up and you see the entire charging army have to like stifle laughter <laughs> as everybody <laughs> slams their spears down and goes <laughs> and then we charge in and have to do a fight scene however this continues for me because I'm playing young Seaward. So this fight scene goes on. I get two hits in. I run off of the uh, floor right exit. 
and I throw my spear down, I strap on a sword, and I run around to the other side just as everybody is clearing off and Macbeth is delivering his line right before young Seward comes in and gets himself murdered. Wrecked. Um It should be noted that Tyler Lemons is a solid, like, foot and a half taller than me. He's, and I am not a short he's guy. He's a giant of a man. He's got He's got me by a couple of inches. We call him I- Big Red for a reason. Yeah, and I am yes. not short, but he's got me by a couple of inches. So I come out and I draw my sword and there is this girl sitting in the front row and she gives me maybe three seconds of like a appraising like look up and down and just clicks her tongue. Oh boy, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did. And she was right. She was. She was so right. <laughs> Um, there is, if, if people want to see it, the, uh, the fight scenes from that are relatively well documented online. And if literally, if anybody wants to see that YouTube, there's a, there's yeah. a, there's, there's a like lion a, face YouTube. There's like a mm-hmm. supercut of rehearsal slash performance of the Mackers McDuff fight that like jumps through you like we're wearing different clothes and stuff, mm-hmm. but like it was edited together of people of multiple rehearsals, multiple rehearsals and whatnot. Video of that full uh, fight scene, mm-hmm. which we. But what I love about that story, like what I adore about that story, yes, is that because you had a bunch of these kids who didn't have that built-in expectation of this is what modern theater looks like, and this is the expectation of you as a modern audience member. They were so fully invested in what was happening that they were being very vocal. They were in it. In the events of the play. And And that is how Shakespeare's theater would have been performed. Like half of the stuff that's written into Shakespeare plays was to interact with the groundlings. You're here for the groundlings. In the theater. And they would be shouting things. Like if we had a Shakespeare time machine and we plucked that yo fly guy fuck him up person and dropped him in the middle of... Shakespeare's yeah. Speaking know, of Shakespeare, right in. I forgot about one of my very favorite Shakespeare adaptations of Macbeth with a time machine, because Doctor Who goes back in time. That's <laughs> true. There you go. And there's there a Macbeth is. Doctor Who episode. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, you could drop, you could drop, flat guy, right in the middle of the groundlings and he'd he'd have fit in the girl yeah. the girl yeah. who's telling chase that he's oh, gonna get gonna die. Um, that-, that was not the first time somebody has been told that while they were playing that role it might have been the first time somebody's been told that when they were playing that role in like about a hundred years yeah um which is kind of a neat thing to think about i guess yeah. and of but course, i mean you did get you did get wrecked oh i got so wrecked <laughs> No, like the, the, if you can, if we can, if anybody wants to see that footage, like the fight scene between young Seward and Macbeth when we did it was brutal, 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 very fast. It is over quick. Once, (laughs) once the, 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 the Patrick Stewart version is over quicker, but that's because he had a gun. Oh, see, now that's (laughs) cheating. But once, once, once it gets started, it does not take long. Like it ramps up. And then it's over. Um, mm-hmm. And it ramps very quickly. But the interaction, it was a surreal experience 
um, being on stage for that show because it was not the kind, like, not the kind of audience. I mean, and we were performing in the park where you get all kinds of stuff happening in and around. It's not just not usually the mm-hmm. audience. It's usually right. you're contending with the kid riding his moped, you know, around the park. Oh my god, that kid on the moped. The kid, <laughs> the kid is back on the escalator again. Every show we kid. did for like three fucking years. It was really bad that during. God damn. It was little... really bad during Henry V. And it wasn't even a moped. It was like a power wheel motorcycle. It was, it was the bad. Worst. Um. <laughs> And like kids in the playground, and I always liked it when they would wander up onto the stage. <laughs> Joe Bob's family reunion cookout, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the kind of stuff you get used to when you're doing Shakespeare in the park. But taking a Shakespeare in the park play and then taking it to an inner city school and being not only not only are you their first exposure to you know. Probably their first ever exposure to Shakespeare. You may very well be their first actual exposure to any kind of live performative theater. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, so that was a. It's a very surreal experience, and like you said, uh, Cassie, it's just like you know that's how it would have been. The Groundlings were very vocal, and they let it be known what they liked and what they didn't like. Um, yeah, yo fly guy fuck him up is what Shakespeare would have wanted. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, it's not um, that far off from r- lines he wrote. I will make your teeth bleed. Yeah. Hmm? Yo fly I, guy fuck him up. I'm so, I was so glad that we did that performance. And like I said, and like stuff like that was exactly like why we wanted to do Lion Face and which ultimately led to why we're sitting and doing this mm-hmm. now. And why we've been doing this for the past three years. Yeah. yeah. I have I have one question that is Macbeth related that yes. I would like to okay. pose. Absolutely. Um, specifically for Ryan. Okay. The reason we're doing this play mm. last out of all of Shakespeare's canon is because Ryan was very vocally insistent that that was how it would be. Loud. He was because loud. You, he was you loud. said, Ryan, that this is your favorite Shakespeare. This this is my favorite Shakespeare. And I want to know what makes it your favorite Shakespeare. Um, okay, so there's there's so much. Um, when give me the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> You're never sleeping now, Cassie. You shouldn't. Have one of, I know one I did of this you, to you just, yeah. One, you, you can't complain anymore. One thing. One thing that's got this that that ha- that this play has going for it. This was this was not the first Shakespeare I'd ever read or. Or anything like that, but this was the first Shakespeare that I was ever privileged enough to perform in. Um, and I got to be in a production that had some incredibly talented actors and actresses in it at BGSU. Um, and they were really welcoming to an eight, eighth grade kid <laughs> who just one like was just so happy to be there right um mm-hmm. and i read it so many times and so many different things about the story um come out and i've i've played i've played three roles 
in this play over the years. I have one more I have to do. Um, and then I, then I'll have all the fights. <laughs> Cause there's one fight I've never done in this play. And that's, that's Mackers versus Young Seward. I was gonna say, you gotta be Seward? I've never played Young Seward or Mackers. Um, but no, someday I will play Mackers. I got to play McDuff, um, in 2010, 10 years ago. Um, but the, the progression of the story with Mackers, the whole madness of him, the madness of his wife, the depth, the complexity of their characters and the characters that are in the play, the, that really caught my attention young. Uh, as a as a teenager, and the the fact that there is such a depth of ability to adapt and create what you want from the story, like I said, there's a whole genre of Macbeth adjacent gangster movies. Um, there are there's I can't believe uh, that exists. There's murder mystery <laughs> literature. Like this this play lends itself to murder mystery. Literature, detective stories. There's murder mystery, pride and prejudice literature out there. But this is actually like, but this like, there's a whole like subgenre of oh yeah devoted Uh, to just you know just this that it like you can find uh, you can find an adaptation that will give you something different and every every day for a month you could watch or read a completely different Macbeth and get something new and different that you can't, that I don't think you can get with a lot of the other Shakespeare plays. There just seems like this grabs on and it grabbed on to me in ways that other, you know, a lot of people will obsess over Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet or, you know, Midsummer or something like that. Now, this one just the way that the depth and complexity and interesting nature of the witches, Mackers, Lady M, like there's just so much depth to this story, and that's what draws me in with it. And it has for uh you know, the last twenty five twenty seven years. No. Mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere around there, twenty six years. You're really old, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. My, the first time I performed this was... You said um, you were eight, right? No, I was in eighth grade. Eighth I was grade. 13. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. I was 13, so 26 years So 27 years. years. 26 yeah. years ago. Old man. Not, not 40 yet. Um, Almost. Almost. But, but the first time I was in this play was 26 years ago, and this is the play that I, I always come back to and, mm-hmm. and right. want to do. Yeah. And like I said, having having gotten to play Macduff, having gotten to play Banquo, um, Macduff's son, you know, I don't know. It's just a lot with this play in me. I have a lot of history with it. That's a perfectly great answer. Thank you. There we go. Of course. So with with that, that that is now, as I said slightly erroneously last time, now for realsies, that's everything. That's it. That's all of that's them. Every that's every play. That's that's all. Am I supposed to sing now? No. 
Okay. <laughs> um, what we, but, uh, what I do want to do is set expectations for what's coming up next. Uh, and that is after 77 episodes, we're taking a break, a short one. Very short. Very short. Uh, one month, November of, uh, of 2020, we are taking off to kind of reset, uh, charge our batteries a bit. Um, I'm going to take a nap. I'm probably going to take a few. I may take a couple naps. Um, and then come December, we are coming back, um, with, uh, a slightly expanded view of what we're going to be doing. Um, we're going to be talking a lot more about classics in general and what better thing to come back in December with than a Christmas carol. It's a ghost story. It's a which ghost. Which is what you traditionally tell at Christmas so time. It's, it's for the Christmas, the Christmas ghost. Um, yeah. Story. We get to talk about a lot of awesome, cool stuff with that. And talk about oh, adaptation. And expect me to sing the Muppet Christmas Carol music, because I'm going to. Come I, in, I, man, and know me better. Come I, in and know me better, man. I may have to drop. <laughs> I just want him to do that all the time now. <laughs> um. Uh, I may have to drop some Muppet Christmas Carol music in there. I might risk it for the biscuit on that one. I'm, I'm so excited! I'm so excited. Um, obviously, we'll, we will not stray. Uh, we are not straying away from the Bard completely. We are going to be. We can find a connection to the Bard in anything. We are going to, and if nothing else, there will be a pirate in something, and Pericles is right there yep. again. And we, we will, we'll, we will continue to be Bard adjacent, but we are going to. We're gonna put some other pins on our jean jacket. Yeah, we're gonna we're yeah. gonna we're gonna add some more buttons on the jean jacket. <laughs> Think of us as your drunken classical book club. And so we're gonna talk about a lot of that stuff. We're gonna talk about some playwrights that are directly Shakespeare adjacent that you may not know much about. We're gonna talk about some classic literature in general. We're gonna get some interviews in uh, with some and out. Heyo. <laughs> So yeah, I think we've got some really great stuff coming yeah. forward. Absolutely. No, you can I'm... expect more ostentatious. Yeah, oh. I've heard that there's that that could be coming, yeah. Um which it's also true. means I, that I, Chase I... and I are actually gonna have to make good on on our <sighs> yeah. on our end. Yeah, I want a, the dark side read... of ostentatious. The dark side of ostentatious. <laughs> I really, really, really need it to happen that both of you have to read. And find something you like. Uh-huh. In one of the Jane Austen novels. We've already done Pride and Prejudice. She got a short one? No, we did Sense and Sensibility, did Sense didn't we? Sense and Sensibility. She got a... She got a yeah, because yeah. we were going to do Sense and Sensibilities and Sea Monsters as a goof. That was, that was the maybe, plan. We should still do that. Maybe next October. still do that. In a year. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can do some Northanger Abbey. Yes. She got a... She got a... Sh- any shortish books? Northanger, Northanger Abbey's kind of short. short. Like, how short? Yeah. Shorter than the others. It's like, <laughs> I can go get it off the shelf if you want to see it, but depending. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna depend on the edition. Know, like I know, how, like how many how many pages of Jane Austen am I gonna have to put myself through? That's what I'm is asking. she? Oh, who's doing the who's doing the binding? Is it large print? I don't know what old men need to read. <laughs> <Bitch>. <laughs> you're not. Uh, you're not I, any younger. We it's are just, it's like devolving into yelling. Book. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. A- as usual. It's on brand for us. As usual, it is well past midnight and we're devolving into yelling. So it is probably, probably time, time for us to all go to, to bed. Sign off and say, 
Um, goodbye to Shakespeare season one. Season one. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm. On. I'm really yeah. glad we did that... it. We got through so, all of them. We did so, it. Do you know how many Henrys we read? There were so many fucking Henrys. So God, we started Beth this. Beth is going to be so mad when we ha- end up starting at the beginning again. I would fuck you guys up. So <laughs> when we started this, it was just going to be me and Ryan and Chase. And then Cassie came home from a tech night and joined us as a guest. Because you were in my house. Because we were in their house. Yep. You were a guest in your own house. That's strange. Either way, <laughs> I think it's important to note that Cassie is yet again here on a podcast directly after being in tech all week. So yeah. you're going out. It's full it's circle. It's full circle. And good it luck. It's full circle. Good luck with the show this weekend. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Thank if you, you if you wanna if you wanna watch that show, you can do that because theater in the time of COVID means you can watch the show. Yep. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully. Put a, put a pin but in not when I this episode know. comes out. Yeah, this episode will already be out. Oh, yeah. We're, you could have watched the show. Well, uh, we're live streaming it. And I know we're recording it. I just don't know how readily available. So there's potential. Fair enough. There's potential. Tell them the name of the show. the show. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. Plug uh, it. If you're able to watch it, we performed a show called And a Child Shall Lead, which is about the Holocaust. So mm. good great plug. theater for our time. Good plug. Good plug. Um, it will make you cry, but it will also make you think, and it will make you smile. Hey, I... All right. Theater, theater I think the Moose evokes, Out Front has something to say. The Moose Out Front yep. does. The Moose Out Front and says the podcast front, is closed. Now, well, Moose Out Front says, this has been Shakespeare. Episode 77. Shakespeare Podcast. Season yeah. 1. <laughs> I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. And I'm Chase Greenlee. I had too much beer, and now I'm emotional. Oh, yeah. Good night, Pod- John Boy. Podcast is over. Moose up front should have told you. He's wearing a jean Thanks. jacket. Oh, magic babies. One. Magic ba- rich? Rich baby. Rich oh, magic yes. baby. Yeah, it's a rich baby, and she's gone too far. You know it won't matter anyway. Swaddle, swaddle, that, baby, swaddle that baby in a jean jacket. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.